0: living a well-balanced lifestyle goes beyond ensuring your finances are in order welcome to keeping the well in wealthy with barbara archer from hightower barbara speaks with wellness industry leaders and related professionals to share more than financial planning advice she addresses your questions about living a healthy lifestyle at any age learn how to gracefully maneuver life's challenges with support and resources to guide you along the way Barbara and the team at Hightower help you make a plan, make an investment, and make a difference in your own wealth and well-being, and in your families, and within your community. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Now, on to the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with your host, Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara, how are you?
2: I am terrific, Eric. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fantastic. It is so good to be back with you. We had a, a little bit of a break because you were, you were interviewing so many people. And so we were <laughs> a little bit ahead. We got a little break and now we're back. I'm excited.
2: I'm excited to be back and I'm excited to introduce you to our guest here shortly.
1: All right. Who'd you bring in?
2: Well, let me ask you first. Yeah. Do you Do you ever have family meetings of any kind?
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe about vacations, where you want to donate money, a job move, health issues, any big family decisions?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even small ones, I mean, you know, like, hey, what do we want to do this weekend? Right. Okay. Get some ideas on the table and not so much anymore. Now the kids have moved out. Now it's just my wife and, I, and she tells me what we do. So that's how
2: oh, right. There you go. It's a plan. It's a good plan.
1: <laughs> a plan. It is.
2: Well, most of us have experienced that uncomfortable moment when the conversation seems to go a little off track when we're talking about something maybe a little more complicated than the weekend plans and someone can get upset or complains that they're not being heard, or maybe they're just being argumentative. So even if planning something fun, you've seen it happen, right? Oh, yeah. Come on. No, All right. Well, you know how unsettling this can be. And it can affect us both mentally and physically. So I want to help our guests out there today avoid some of those problems. And so I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Kirby Rossplock. She's going to help us prepare for such family meetings and guide us on how to enhance a successful outcome. So, Eric, I want you to think about your next big family meeting you might be planning. And please join us after we get some advice from Kirby.
1: All right, sounds good. Great.
2: Well, everyone, I'd like to introduce Dr. Kirby Rossplock. She's a recognized teacher, advisor, author, and speaker in the family wealth industry. She is the founder of Tamarin Partners Inc., a research, advisory, and consultancy firm serving family office landscape. Kirby provides leading edge family education that is practical and hands-on. She is a Dean of Family Office at the Purposeful Planning Institute, a fellow and faculty of the Family Firm Institute, and a co-trustee of the Harback Family Foundation. She speaks and consults internationally on her research books and experiences with wealth and enterprising families. Kirby received her BA from Middlebury College, MBA from Marquette, and PhD from Saybrook University. Her book, The Complete Family Office Handbook makes her uniquely talented in helping us today to contemplate how to design our own family meetings, focus on goals, and ask the right questions. Welcome, Kirby. Oh, Barbara, it's such a great delight to be here today. Well, I'm excited to have you here. And my first question for you is, I want to know how your passion to guide families through purposeful planning was ignited. Well, I have to admit, it started with my
3: own family, and so I grew up table stakes and having many family conversations around the dinner table that sometimes segued to the boardroom, and so I grew up really of a child in a family enterprise that witnessed firsthand how we juggled this interpersonal dynamic of being family and then complexity around wealth or business ownership. And how that can create so many different dynamics within a family, good and bad. And I recognize like my family needed help. Other families oftentimes need help just to figure out how to set themselves up for success.
2: Ah, yeah. And that's why you're here and we need you. So Kirby, before we get started on that, let me ask you, did I just read that you recently received an award?
3: Oh, Barbara, you are on the nose. So Clearview Publishing and the Family Wealth Report just had their big awards banquet in New York last week. And so we were the proud recipient of the best family office wealth management consulting firm. So we are thrilled to win this award. It's not our first, but hopefully it won't be our last either. And so that's standing right behind me, one of those little black and white
2: Well, congratulations. I did want to recognize that when I saw that come across my screen. So since you're a pro at this and you started close to home, I'm going to take you back to home Mm -hmm. and family. And if you were sitting here today, getting ready to prepare, what guidelines can you recommend our guests to follow? Let's just from the very beginning, what should we be considering?
3: Well, when families start planning a meeting, it's usually well-intentioned, right? Nobody plans to have a catabolic explosion at their family meeting, but oftentimes it's not communicated. Why are we meeting? What are the expected ground rules of like how we're engaging? What are the hopeful outcomes that we're trying to achieve? And oh, by the way, if there's homework in advance, like, can you read this board book or... Could you read this foundation update or this memo being put out? Um, Sometimes we don't always go through the preparation to tee up the meeting to make it a success. And so sometimes when families are nervous, they tend not to communicate as well to family about why are we gathering? What's really the motives of it? How should you be prepared to come into this sacred discussion. I feel like anytime family are together, it's sacred, right? It's special. And we take it for granted every time we might gather at a Thanksgiving table or at a holiday, you know, festivus or someone's big milestone, a birthday, retirement, graduation. But we should treat it really sacred because that time together to carve out for a specific purpose needs to be well-intended. And so a lot of times families miss the boat about being very clear to who's gathering, why they're there, and what's the purpose. So sometimes family meetings aren't always about a decision. They might be about brainstorming. Hey, we want to get feedback. We want to hear ideas. They may be about consensing. Hey, are we on the right page? Are we getting to alignment on the issues that are matter most? Are we prioritizing them right? So oftentimes we think just gathering is to make a decision. Okay. Hmm. Who's in favor? I nay, Right. And so we have to be really mindful of what we're setting the family participants up for. So they know how they're going to engage and what they're there for.
2: Well, in- Doing this preparation, you had mentioned to me when we spoke earlier about unpacking and checking baggage at the door to come in with an open mind. And also, I have a question when you talk about, you know, some of the easy things, like if we're deciding whether to go to the mountains or the beach, that might not be as difficult a decision. But when things get really tense, maybe it's where we put mom in a nursing home. Maybe it's where, we are deciding or we want to share with our family that we have some kind of a disease and we're trying to determine where the right place is for treatment. So things that are a little more sensitive, and are there times when we might need a helper or facilitator or someone else besides just us preparing for this meeting?
3: Yeah, I think a lot of families recognize when it feels unsafe, or... Here's another big issue that families face. One, one, typically a minority interest might feel like, well, so-and-so is controlling the narrative. So they called the meeting, they're pushing an agenda. What am I going to say? I have no vote. I have no say. So we go in and when you, going back to the checking your baggage, we oftentimes feed into these sort of roles and these scripts that we're conditioned to playing because of business ownership, because of engagements in the past. And so that can oftentimes become an impediment to even showing up with an open mind, being open to what is on the table. And so the keys to family meetings are to make it very intentional and purposeful. And then the second point I would add is that when you feel like one party or another might immediately be pushing back, I don't wanna attend, I'm not gonna be heard, oh gosh, he's just going to lecture. She's just going to get on her high horse. Then we also need to know, do we need a facilitator? Do we need someone else who can actually help us get to holistic conversations that are generative, that are productive, that actually set the minority or the majority, whoever, whatever the dynamics are up for success, because we create a level playing field. So that is really the my opinion, top role of facilitator is to be able to control how that playing field feels. Is it really tilted or uneven, lumpy? So when we don't have a good preparation for a meeting environment, we create some of these dislocations of engagement. And this can be really detrimental to how people engage, how they feel like they're being heard, why they'd want to
2: even put themselves out there, right? Well, Exactly. And there will be many listeners out there that aren't involved in business family meetings, but they're having their own types of family meetings. Again, whether it's about care or planning for um, a change in someone's job, whatever it might be, whenever you think about generally a family meeting, do you have any pet peeves that we should be aware of and help us a- Yeah,
3: I have to admit, I have a few. So I think it's really important when families come together that their understanding of the dynamic of the meeting, like what's, what are we trying to get out of this meeting? Because if they don't know, I call it the WIFM, what's in it for me. So that's the acronym, WIFM. They may not know that they should really attend, show up, be as mentally on target, and so, again, I, I get really frustrated when families gather, but they haven't done the work to prepare participants for their roles, how they're how, how they're expected to engage. Now, sometimes there's pre-reading, sometimes there's a little bit of pre-work, or, hey, I'm going to have individual discussions with each family member as a facilitator in advance. Sometimes I'll do that. Other cases, I will help coach who, um, a family member to help be an engager, right. To create that Mm -hmm. space and create that awareness. Other pet peeves of mine are again, when we don't have the clear understanding of how the, the meeting's going to flow. So I see oftentimes an agenda with 27 things on it Uh, and too much. It's too much, too much. It's too much. So I'm a big believer that you got to know What is it that is most achievable in the time that you have? And also to strategically not put the most important thing at the 27th point that, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't get to it.
2: We'll have to push it to the next. You mean you want priorities too?
3: I know, priorities. (laughs) So the other thing I find really helpful is that when you start a meeting, you make sure to give voice I want to have a parking lot here. So when we are going through this meeting today, if there are things that come up that are really good ideas that we should address. And they may be action items at a future meeting. Let's capture those. So I call that my parking lot list. I usually have a flip chart with a marker and guess what? Even as the facilitator, I might be writing down things, but I empower the participants to take ownership of this meeting. So if We don't get to something that comes up that's really important. Get up from the table, walk up to that whiteboard, and you write it down. It doesn't just have to be the facilitator of the leader of the family meeting to take ownership of that little pen and that pad of paper. So those are just some of my pet peeves is when too much on the agenda, not enough preparation, priorities way down at the bottom when it should have been flipped up to the top. And then just not empowering the people in the room to really take ownership of the meetings that they're having.
2: And how do you encourage everyone to participate? Because, you know, everyone has different communication skills and some people are just introverts and don't want to share. They're thinking something and I can be sitting at a dining room table and see a child roll their eyes. Well, you know, they have something to say. Yeah. And what's the best way to engage those that are kind of reticent to to share their points of view?
3: Yeah, so that's a great question. And I want to just give homage to the pause, okay? We are not, as a society, typically comfortable with silence. True. So when (laughs) you're in a family meeting, oftentimes a moderator or facilitator... We'll try to fill silence when there are these pregnant pauses, right? The kind that make you get a little sweaty hands and palms and uncomfortable in your seat. I'll tell you why it's really an important exercise to just let there be that empty space. Because it's important for the family to feel some of that uncomfortableness too. But for that maybe resident participant, it takes them that silence to sort of put their hand up or speak up. It's also important that families own that white space, that empty space, because if you are always filling it, you're feeding, you're, you're creating a guide, which may or may not be the narrative that needs to be solved for. So Sometimes being uncomfortable, uh, Brene Brown talks a lot about this, in the silent moments is a really, really important thing to allow in that, those meetings. And for those people who are reticent, who roll their eyes, put their arms up angry, <clears throat> sometimes calling them out in the middle of the meeting is not going to help that cause. So don't put the spotlight on the pain points if they're not wanting to give voice. My suggestion is, When you feel like the energy is going in a really toxic direction or feeling like the room is getting divided, you have the power to say, I think it's time we take a pause. Let's take a 15 minute bio break, get some water, get a snack, check your phones, whatever it is. And then that is your opportunity as the moderator facilitator to do some check-ins really quickly. Hey, I noticed that really bothered you. I could see it in your eyes, your face your body language. Don't be afraid in those moments to get a check-in with the the people that look really happy and not so happy. And when you go back and you bring the room together, honor that. Say, you know, when we took that break, I just felt that there was still unsettledness or uncomfortableness, or we don't necessarily have consensus here. I want to sort of bring up some of the things I sense are happening. Don't have to call anyone out again. Because again, oftentimes people don't step up because they don't feel safe. They don't wanna be judged. They don't know if what they're gonna say is gonna be ridiculed or they feel apathy like, well, it doesn't really matter. So you have to figure out how to champion voices that may not be heard in a way that's discreet, but powerful. And so Hmm. by saying things like, you know, I sense that this might be happening. Maybe some of you are feeling this way. Or did you feel inside or react inside that this would have this impact? Because if it if that's a concern, I think we should talk about that, right? So you're finding ways to gently enter into what I would call sharky waters, things that feel unsettled. But you know what? Again, know what your format is all about. And if your format is to engender discussion and conversation, that's a good pathway to go. If it's not, and you're supposed to be making a decision on something, And it's also important to say, I don't think we have consensus or I don't think we're getting to a place where people are ready to vote on this. Do we need to take a pause and do further exploratory conversations?
2: Well, when might it be? I'm thinking you mentioned the the party that might be apathetic because they're sitting there thinking, well, it really doesn't matter what I say. We're doing this or we're going there or they've already made the decision does it make sense at any point to come in and have ready kind of a, a totally opposite view, a contrarian view to put out there to start a discussion? Or if you know that person who is apathetic, what is it wrong to push their button? Well,
3: if you want to stir the pot, it's not wrong, but it may <laughs> not make you that, want them to come back and Warm and fuzzies may not be a result of you like,
2: but their of- apathy isn't being productive either. So, it's if you, not- how do you, how do you, um, light that fire to start a discussion or, or to make people feel safe and say, I want you to join in the conversation. I want to hear your opinion. I want to hear your views. Well, um, you just
3: said it. You said it right there, Barbara. Which is the invitation is number one priority. And just because you're invited to a meeting doesn't mean you're invited to voice opposition, a contrarian view. And sometimes I love that you bring that up because it's something I encourage is that, you know every family should, or any kind of meeting, business meeting, regardless of the stakeholders, should always present the contrarian view because we get to yes and sometimes it can take a long time to get there. And sometimes it can be very quick. And if we get there too quickly and haven't really thought about, okay, what are all the potential things that we could argue against this? Yes. I mean, who would be in favor of no? And let's just talk about that. Even if nobody thinks no, but why would we think no? And then when you start to create that list, that's what validates the yes, right? So that And I love that thinking. idea can be validation yeah absolutely
4: excuse the interruption i know you're listening to hightowers keeping the well and wealthy podcast but if you have questions related to these or other wellness and financial issues please reach out to your advisor or go to hightoweradvisors.com to find a financial advisor near you now back to barbara
2: no i think that's very helpful and Because we're talking about communication patterns and people who do speak up and those that don't, what about those triggers that oftentimes happen in family? You know, if you say something or if you bring up something in the past, or there's a topic that is always flammable in the family, how can we gain sensitivity to that and maybe avoid Being the one that throws the match on the kerosene there.
3: Yeah. Well, first talking to the elephant versus around the elephant, like as if it's not there. So if we know we have a combustible topic on the agenda, make sure everybody knows we know this is a very sensitive topic. This is something you haven't had agreement or alignment on. I don't know if we're gonna get there today. So never promise we're gonna fix this. We're gonna dampen out all the kerosene. It's gonna be fine. I've got my fire hose here. Don't make promises that it's gonna be fixed. But I think it's really important to honor how explosive certain conversations can be. I think one of the things to changing past combustible patterns, right, in family conversations is to acknowledge that we're gonna work differently to hear each other, to take the moment to just give people this space to share their thoughts and ideas, whether we agree, we disagree, whether it makes us wanna like throw our hands up and yell and scream, we're just gonna honor that self-control and those moments to figure out how to be in dialogue with one another and respecting different opinions That may not be our own opinions, but that we have to work productively to find what the answers are that we can all live with or that we can agree to, even though one party or the other party might be making concessions. So talk to that elephant in the room, make sure people respect how powerful that dynamite is in the middle of that room, and that nobody really comes to a meeting to walk away feeling like they got blown up or burned. And so, when you start to set those parameters to say, "We we got to work through this," but the only way we're going to do this is if we are honoring and respecting, hear each other, share our thoughts and our true, honest, authentic feelings, and
2: really start to create a space that's safe. Oh, that's lovely. And talking about safe spaces, I mentioned to you um, uh, some even personal family contentions between a few people and one party that sent me a text that I loved. I've kept it because I just got such a kick out of it. And it, all it said was, I am Switzerland. So let's talk a little bit about that, having two opposing forces and then having Switzerland.
3: Yeah, two opposing forces. I can't even say it. Two opposing forces. So oftentimes we call that triangulation. where the third point is Switzerland. And so the two folks both usually confide in that, you know, individual who is trying really hard not to play to one party or the other party and hears both parties out but really feels torn, right? Mm -hmm. They're not able to advocate for maybe the one they feel is unfairly treated or the one that's bullying or overarching, And so Switzerland's are all around us. Typically, we find that families put advisors right into the Switzerland category. I see it with husbands and wives. They'll talk to their investment advisor, their banker, their accountant. I will see it with siblings. I will see it with parents and children who don't agree on things, and they pull their advisor in to moderate and mediate. And so, again, I think it's really important that that we don't rely on Switzerland to solve because Switzerland is there to just keep the peace, right? They don't wanna see these two entities, these two individuals battle. So it's really up to the two that disagree to find out how to have productive you know, discourse, how to talk and say, listen, I, it really bothers me. I wanna share when you do this, it really bothers me. And this is how it impacts me. And this is why I react this way. And I really don't want to feel that way when that's happening, but I need you to know that that is a trigger for me, or that's what I'm receiving. And that's what's hurting me. And I don't want to feel this resentment, this anger, this frustration. So that's what we need to say for those two dissenting parties that aren't getting along. We need them to have, you know, productive space. And sometimes Switzerland will say, you know what, I'm going to sit you guys both down and we're gonna talk about this, but you're gonna talk about this. I'm just gonna be here to be a referee and keep the peace. But most Switzerland entities and individuals don't want to be in that place, so they just compartmentalize. They take it all in, and it usually makes them not
2: have the best feeling in their stomach. Um, oh. And it
3: can be really it can be really hard on those relationships over time.
2: Do you have some ideas on how when you're in a conflict situation, how you can get to some resolutions. I love when you mention valuing the different parties and making people feel safe, but everyone has strong opinions. So oftentimes there's still conflict, and it's not a lack of respect for other people's opinions, but sometimes they're just so focused on their outcome that they're not listening. To any of the other opinions in the room. So, how do you help phrase a request to all parties to stop and listen?
3: Yeah, so I think that's right there. You said it is how do we start to create a pause? And I think it's also making sure to feedback so people hear themselves, right? Because I don't know that people know the tone, and <laughs> they don't necessarily know how intense might their, their presence or their words or their actions. And so sometimes it's really important to bring the mirror into the room for a minute and say, okay, just imagine you said that to yourself, how would that make you feel? Like what, how do you think your presence is showing up? And is it making the right kind of impact that you want? Because oftentimes, you know, People, when they feel right, feel very strong in their convictions. So they're trying to make a point, but they don't realize all the emotional elements to their messaging. And so what they're really trying to get across is lost in either that's not how we do it in our family. You're not allowed to do that. I don't care what everybody else, I have the final authority. So when people go right to like, this is my control lever, This will oftentimes shut people down in a room because it's like, okay, well, great. But ultimately we all relinquish control at some part part of our point in our life. And the obvious one is when we're no longer here, right? And there is yes ruling from the grave, but we also know how less productive it is to try to lead all the way to the grave and then have your... And coming back out of the grave to control those that are still left in the lurches. So my suggestion is to really understand what your success looks like. What ultimately are you trying to achieve? Because control is finite. It happens for a period of time, but it's always, it's always evolving. And so we have to look at what we're trying to achieve, how we're trying to create harmony, and ultimately what success looks like. Because it doesn't necessarily work to get your point across or get your agenda across. If it just either puts people in passivity and that's when people just are going to that apathetic state saying, I don't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, they roll their eyes. They lean back in their seats. They kind of, they do this. They look at their phone. These are all your signs. If right. you didn't get this. pay attention. Yeah. That, that, probably you've lost, you've completely railroaded an, an agenda. Um, so and it, it's
2: okay to say to someone then maybe like, wow. I mean, when you're personally offended or someone's attacking you in a meeting, wow, would you like to rephrase that? Or, you know, could we yeah, try I mean, that again?
3: I, Just I, stop to, them? I go on a case by case basis because I usually won't call out even a founder, matriarch or patriarch if they're behaving terribly badly in the meeting, but I usually prepare those people in advance. I'm usually the one saying how you show up really matters.
2: Like, doesn't it help to have communication all along the way before we even start these family meetings? Yeah, I mean, for the good times, the little nudges, the happy texts or, you know, an emoji, something to stay in contact, because sometimes when you get together it can be, uh, when it's in person, I mean, we're Zooming now, but let's look at when do we use Zoom versus when do we have a phone call versus when do we try and get in person? Are there different levels of communication that you've experienced with different families you've worked with that it works better in person or sometimes maybe not?
3: Okay. So, Here's the reality. We all were forced to go virtual, right? During all our parts of the pandemic. So we cherish now our time being together in in a physical meeting. I would suggest that, again, don't bite off too much that you can't process in an in-person meeting and also know what, what intimacy you're creating by being in a shared space. There's oftentimes very sort of rubber stamp check the box kinds of meetings where you go through a protocol i think those are actually great if you, if it's permitted under the guidance of the governing documents but if you're permitted to do a lot of that virtually awesome i mean there are you know certain business formalities where you have to physically be in person and have a live board meeting for example if it's a great example but if we're having sort of more intimate family conversations on Sensitive topics. I mean, you brought up where do we put mom? Is she going into a facility or dad? Mm-hmm. Is it time for his memory care? You know, step up and and these are hard conversations to do by phone or Zoom. Agreed, right? Yeah, they are. Uh, and and let's be honest, the presence that you have when you're in a room together is different than when we are in, you know, our virtual spaces and our attention. So I really encourage when there is a need to be present and a need to have community around conversation to think about what matters in those moments to be together. And it may not always be checking the box. It may not always be getting to a decision. It might be just like, we want to get people's feedback. We want to get your input. We want to do a check-in. We want to have some fun. So we're going to do this business part first, and then we're going to do some family fun after. So those are the times where I feel like being in person really matters.
2: Oh, that's great. Well, let's talk about something that often comes up in family meetings, whether they're in our office or in families' homes and, or it could be a business it, but oftentimes it's an individual decision and that's how we create our legacies. Mm. And so when we're Talking to our families and how we want to be remembered and things that we want to do. What can you tell us about creating a legacy? Uh, this
3: is a great topic. And boy, Barbara, we could probably spend hours just talking. <laughs> we don't about have legacy. that time, but I'm I just
2: know. <laughs> so we can give people a little bit of thought about this when they're gathering together as a family to have a discussion.
3: Yeah. Well, there's so much literature on legacy and legacy building from so many great, I can provide you lots of articles and books, chapters and so forth. But one thing I will tell you that I've discovered working with families is that legacy isn't just an end of your life thing. It's a while you're living thing. So a lot of times people don't realize that every day you are living your legacy, like your actions kind of reflect your values And they also reflect who you are and what mark you're leaving
2: in this world. Do you have any examples or stories about anyone that changed their legacy?
3: Sure, I'm happy to give you a great story. Most people don't know about Alfred Nobel's real backstory. They know about the Nobel Peace Prize, right? We know about sort of these incredible things that he left as part of his legacy. But the real story is Alfred was going in a very different direction. He was this prolific inventor. This is circa, actually, before World War II. And he invented all kinds of incredible things. But one of the things that he also created was dynamite. So he was the originator. And pre-World War I, they were figuring out how to blow holes in the sides of the mountains so that railroads could carve through the French Alps, right? In the Swiss Alps. And so that was what the genesis of his dynamite was created for. Well, his story is really fascinating because there was um, an accident at one of his manufacturing companies. Sadly, his brother actually perished oh, in this terrible right. accident, but the French newspaper got it incorrect and they thought actually Alfred died. So they wrote his obituary and they published it All throughout Paris, that the merchant of death is dead. So, how awful. they, They basically said, Here's this man, he created dynamite. And oh, by the way, dynamite became instrumental in World War II. It was horrible, right? With all the casualties and deaths that it caused. And so, that's in that moment, Alfred realized, Wow, that's my legacy. That is how the papers, how I will be memorialized for the 27 other kinds of things i invented but this is what i'll be remembered for and so that was honestly what changed his view on legacy and why he said i don't want to be remembered like this and he completely shifted his estate plan to set up you know the nobel peace prize and other nobel prizes so that's a great example of like realizing that all your successes all your hard work might be taken in a different reflection and not actually accurately portray what your passion your purpose is. So intentional, right? He became intentional. very intentional about what his legacy was going to be and that it wasn't going to be for one invention or the perception
2: of a painful period of history, right? Wow. World War 1. No, that's very telling. Thank you. Well, Kirby, this has been a pleasure and we appreciate how you have given us tips and to prepare for our family meetings, whether it's just with each other or with an advisor. So if I think about just three ideas, maybe I'll come up with four here, provide information ahead of the meeting. So others feel ready to engage schedule enough time to have deep conversations, maybe prioritize those as your ideas that you want to challenge as well. Acknowledge that we may need to have a third party as our Switzerland to assist us. And don't be afraid of the quiet pause. Mm. Mm, I like that one. I'm going to try and implement that a little more. So before we invite Eric back to join us, my last question for you is this, how do you keep your well in wealthy?
3: Well, I keep my well and wealthy by trying to keep my well full. So I try not to get too depleted because you can imagine in the line of work that I am in, there is tremendous amount of pressure and crush of pulling me in a thousand different directions. But I think it's really important to keep it all in perspective and also to take advantage of the everyday, right, to be in the moment to share this kind of time with you today. Barbara, this is special for me. And I don't take for granted the work that I do. I like to stay humble, and I like to stay grounded. And so I think that's how my well stays full and also makes my work so fulfilling.
2: Oh, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience and your tips. You and I have had such good conversations, and I know we could talk Whole lot longer on many other issues here, but I'm going to ask Eric to join us. Eric, could yeah, you come back. So I after can. hearing Kirby's advice on preparing for a family meeting, will you be doing anything differently in the future?
1: Well, I have one question, if you would allow me to. Um,
2: <laughs> only one.
1: Only on. one. It's a two parter, <laughs> but yeah, only okay. One. So a lot of families have criers. Okay, <sighs> a lot of families have ugly criers. So my question is two parts. First of all, how do you help that person who's maybe over emotional or just very emotional and cries easily? How do you help them prepare for a family meeting that may be a bit tough? And then how do you help them get through the family meeting, giving them enough space to express those emotions, but at the same time, not derail the entire process by bawling their eyes out for four hours? Yeah,
3: that's a great question, Eric. So when folks get really emotional and it's just all they can do is weep or sob or really have a meltdown, my suggestion in advance is to do some pre-work, to just talk to them about what are their triggers? What do they know that's coming? And, they, and typically people know, right? I am a sappy hallmark. Like if you put me in certain <laughs> movies, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to cry. And it doesn't matter what is going on in my head, I just know that that makes me well up. And so I also like to do so preparing that individual, but then preparing the space. So when you go in there for that meeting, and you know, you have that potential crier in the room, you honor in advance and say, listen, this might be emotional for some of you. And that is okay.
4: Mm-hmm. It's
3: okay. If you're actually going to cry, but if you need to step out of the room to like, Really let loose, take care of yourself. So, I oftentimes in the ground rules part of a meeting will suggest that if I know that that's going to create safety, right? Because guess what? When you tell people they can cry, sometimes they don't cry. Like, sometimes Mm -hmm. they're like, I'm okay now. Like, I know I can cry, but I don't have to cry. And I can leave when I feel like I'm going to cry. So, that is my suggestion right there. And guess what? When you create supportive communication in the beginning of a meeting, It means that the person next door isn't going to do one of those like, oh, my God, they're crying. (laughs) They're going to do like, it's okay, like we got your back. So it creates a community of support. And that can sometimes also be a very good bonding experience when people start to feel the pain that somebody else feels around an issue and they're like, okay, this is hurting so and so. And I'm more sensitive that I'm not going to be as judgmental or I'm not going to be as cool or like lay
2: it in there. So those are just a couple of tips. Does that help, Eric?
1: Oh yeah. That's fantastic.
2: I love that. That's terrific. Well, I know we have so much more we could ask you today. So Kirby, I want to share with everyone that they can reach out to you at tamarindlearning.com. That's T A M A R I N D learning.com or your email Kirby K I R B Y at tamarindpartners.com. And we will have this in the podcast notes so people can just download it and take a look. So thank you again. It was a delight. No,
3: thank you, Barbara and Eric. It was a great time to be with you and talking about family meetings, something I'm so passionate about.
1: Fantastic. Kirby, thank you so much for your time. This was incredibly educational. And obviously, this is where your heart and your passion are. So thank you. You're a great guest. Barbara, again, I love doing this with you. I love just kind of being that fly on the wall and learning. I know that you have worked so diligently with clients and with the the folks there uh, that you work with in these different areas and helping people to implement the things that you're helping teach through these podcasts. So thank you for everything that you do, of course. And then, of course, our last thank you goes to the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Keeping the Well and Wealthy with Barbara Archer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Barbara comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show again thank you so much for listening today for everyone at hightower this is eric johnson reminding you to go out in the world and make a difference we'll see you next time
0: thank you for listening to keeping the well in wealthy with barbara archer sponsored by hightower Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Wealth Advisors. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial
4: service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Wealth Advisors is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. High Tower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.